Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The reality is, is that for most men, we don't do anything until we absolutely have to. I'm Dan Smolin, and this is the Dan Smolin Podcast. We help people to navigate the future of work to work that is profound, protects the planet, empowers people and communities, and is fun to do, meaningful work. The stories that our guests tell and the insights that they provide will inspire you to connect with work and experiences that stoke your passions and make the world a better place. For the future of work is meaningful work. The mission of the Dan Smolin Experience is to help people find success and enjoyment in the work that they do and hope to do. We believe there are four career journey components that get people to blissful work and career experiences, and they are dream, explore, strategize, and act. First, we encourage people of all ages, backgrounds, and levels of education and training to dream about the kind of work that they believe will make them happy and well-purposed. Next, we guide them to explore opportunities to do the work that they dream about. Then, we focus them to strategize, to align with the skill and experience needed to do the work and opportunities of their choosing. And last, we prod them to act, to seize on the opportunities to do the work of their dreams. We believe the key to success is intentionality, allowing dreams, explorations, strategies, and actions to happen fluidly. To be truly successful in the future of work, we must be career intentional about dreaming, exploring, strategizing, and acting throughout our lives. You can find useful and actionable resources on dansmolin.com. And when on the site, 
make sure you sign up for our free newsletter. Just click the newsletter tab on the top of our webpage, click subscribe, and you will be on your way. In a dynamic future of work, agility is key, and our ever-changing dreams can help us to align with future success. This week, we delve into an important topic, supporting men in future work with our guest, Lucas Crump. Lucas is the CEO of Everyman, a platform of resources, groups, retreats, programs, and other things to empower men to lead fuller and more connected lives. Men struggle with their relationship to work as much as they do expressing their emotions. And quite often, men craft their identities, their personal narratives around work and career. Now, emerging from a two-year pandemic, many men are grappling with workplace disruption and trying to figure out their purpose. In a wide-ranging discussion, Lucas and I discuss his personal work journey and how every man helps men to learn to thrive, express their emotions, and ride into the future of work successfully. I spoke with Lucas Crump in March 2022 over Zoom. Lucas Crump, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Dan. You are welcome, my friend. This is an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. So let's get started. You are the CEO of Everyman. What is that and how would you describe its value proposition? I am the CEO. I'm also the co-founder. And I always like to say that I, I didn't necessarily apply for this job, but it's a real honor to, to be able to lead this organization in its growth. Everyman is a men's personal development and well-being platform. We focus on providing men tools, resources, and community to connect with themselves and others. And we do that through a proprietary methodology that my co-founder, Owen Marcus, has spent the better part of 30 years developing and refining based on his own individual need, as well as what he experienced working with thousands and thousands of men over thousands and thousands of hours over the course of the last 30 years. So this was Owen's baby, so to speak, but what attracted you to it? What attracted me to it was my own personal need. I'd like to say that every man is probably one of the most selfish things I've ever done because every man really helps me. The benefits that I saw through slowing down and doing this work inevitably led me to committing myself to building the platform to deliver this work to more men wherever they are in the world. So you said slowing down. Slowing down is not something that men do naturally. We tend to accelerate. That's what the American dream we think imbues in us. Why was slowing down important for you? And how does that relate to your history and some of the things that you encountered? We have a formula at every man. It's called the rock formula. And it stands for relax, open, and connect. And the R can be interpreted as slowing down. You know, as men, we're always going, right? We're always right. sort of looking towards the next goal or the next milestone. And we've been conditioned to do that. 
you know, we've been incentivized to do that. But one of the things that Owen found, and certainly the benefits that I've seen, is that our more natural human state is actually slowed down and being acutely aware of what we're experiencing, what we're feeling in our bodies, what we're present to in the present moment, so that we can attune ourselves to the wisdom that we innately have inside ourselves as part of being human. I'm really intrigued by your backstory. We talked about this in pre-interview, and I'm wondering if you could share with the audience a little bit about what Lucas went through as a young man, and then later on as a hard-driving executive that led you eventually to every man. It feels a lifetime ago, but I grew up in Kansas, which is a big part of who I am. I think that there's a natural humility to our values in the Midwest. Within my household, my father, my biological father was bipolar and really Mm -hmm. suffered from that disease. And it impacted myself and my family at a very young age. There was a lot of abuse from him, which really fractured what I believe to be the traditional bond that a father and his children would have. Whereas I didn't necessarily feel safe with my father as a result of the abuse that went on. And, you know, at the same time, at a very young age, I had to go inwards and figure out how to survive and care for myself. For me, that meant working when I was 11 or 12 years old, I started mowing lawns and, you know, very quickly sort of trained myself to rely upon my own individuality to be safe. Fast forward, I went to an all boys Jesuit high school, which was really the initial introduction that I had to doing work and or experiences with men. At the time, it was a Jesuit high school, so that was in a sort of religious setting. But I always knew that I felt particularly alive in those environments when we were doing that, those type of retreats and things for our maturation as young men. After that, I went to college and ended up living overseas for about 10 years. I always like to say, like, if you grow up in Kansas, all you want to do is leave. As much as I love Kansas, I did want to see the world. And I think consciously, I wanted to see the world. Unconsciously, I wanted to run away from some of the hurt and struggle that I had as a young man growing up in Kansas. And so my life led me overseas. First started working for a Dutch company that sent me to Africa and South America, and then ended up actually moving to Bangkok, Thailand, where I spent five years working all over South and Southeast Asia. And then eventually found myself in Singapore, where I spent another three years working and going to business school. That experience, I had the good fortune to travel to 80 plus countries Mm. and really be an experience so much of what the world has to offer. But if I look back, there were definitely a lot of moments when I was very alone and I was very disconnected. So as as amazing as it was to be in Bhaktapur in, in Nepal or Pakistan or Bali, wherever these places were that I had the chance to go to, there was a part of me that it was almost like it was black and white and not full color. I was very driven to see the world. And as a man, I, I got to go overseas and work was exciting and interesting. And people back home thought it was exciting and interesting. And 
I was very driven to kind of continue to go and see and see and see and have these adventures and these experiences. But at the same time, I was very lonely inside. And I learned to disconnect my head and my heart in order to survive. Because quite frankly, you know, when I was 26, 27 years old in Bangkok, Thailand, there were a lot of moments when I wanted to be home. I just wanted to be around my family and around people like myself, people that look like me, because there's a certain safety in that. And I figured out how to disconnect my head and my heart to really sort of push down those emotions and that feeling in order to keep going. And what that did is that when I was inevitably having these experiences, I wasn't fully present to them to grasp the incredible opportunity that life had given me to be able to see these different places. I can remember there are a few defining moments in my life up until this point, one of which was trekking in the Congo to see mountain gorillas. And at one point, many hours into the Congo, we came upon a small village of people who were vibrant. They were incredibly happy, you know, kids running up to me and, and people were very graceful in their welcoming. And I can just remember having this moment of being like, wow, I was given this life and they were given that one. And I didn't have anything to do with that decision. And it really was a moment that put a lot of things in perspective. Sounds like a moment of longing. It was a moment of longing, but it was a real moment of wonder wonder around this thing that we call life, right? Like how, how our lives unfold and the things that we're given and not given and, and the things that we control and that we don't control. It was a powerful moment for me and, and I'll always cherish that. But you didn't necessarily have an epiphany yet. You came back to the United States and you recalled getting this elite job in a major telecommunications company. Was it an SVP title? I'm not really sure, but you had a lot of responsibility and you were a young man. Yeah. What happened then? Well, I think prior to getting that job, what was a big moment for me was I was 32 years old. I had spent almost 10 years overseas. Mm -hmm. My biological father had recently passed away. And I just had this moment of saying, man, I, it's just like, I, I think I'm done with this chapter and I need mm. to go home. And so when I went home, I can remember being terrified that my experience, this 10 years overseas, not working for a, a U.S. company was going to limit my opportunity to sort of reassimilate to life back to the United States. Despite that fear, I went forward and I moved to New York City and I found a job. I joined an early stage technology company, a startup, if you will, and rode that wave until that company was acquired by a major tech company. And I can remember feeling like, wow, I thought, you know, and, and with that sort of acquisition came wealth that I hadn't experienced previously. I mean, I, I couldn't retire, mm -hmm. but for the first time, I actually had sort of money in my bank account and I felt a sense of freedom. And what I didn't feel was joy, was happiness. And that was when the alarm bells started really going off for me of like, wow, I did all the things that I thought that I was supposed to do as a man, you know, in terms of seeing the world, you know, having incredible experiences, 
dating exotic women and all kinds of different things. Also then going to business school, getting my MBA, then like joining a, a tech company that ultimately was acquired. Like I had all of these experiences that to my knowledge was what I was supposed to be doing as a man. Now, remember that my father wasn't around, mm -hmm. so I didn't have anybody that was really guiding me. I was looking at what the world was telling me around me and I was following that plan. And that plan, you know, once it started to be realized, didn't necessarily bring me the peace, the serenity, the joy, the happiness that I thought it would, which really caught me off guard and forced me to really look inwards and really start to address like, what were the things inside myself? What was I really needing? And that's ultimately what led me to every man. Fast forward a couple of years. I mean, every man was side hustle for a while. And then, yes, I was working, you know, in a large telecom company, had a lot of responsibility, but also had a lot of disconnect in mm -hmm. terms of the value of that experience. Like, wow, like I don't feel purposeful in this work. I don't feel like this work isn't bringing me a sense of joy and satisfaction. What it is doing is bringing me a paycheck, which is great. But I think my own individual awareness at this stage around my emotional self, and then also my need to connect with a greater purpose. In pre-interview, you described some of the emotional disconnects, the behavioral disconnects that you had. And it made me think of my own case when I was 27 years old, 27 years old, and having the responsibility for a big roll-up of revenue at an advertising agency with a top client and having everybody tell me how wonderful that was. Wow, you're so young and you've had all this success and going home on weekends and completely falling apart. Right. Now, my situation does not mirror yours. I had a pretty good relationship with my dad. He, he wasn't in the same business, but we had a good relationship. But I did have the, the experience of being a young man in a patriarchy, if you will, mm -hmm. that perpetuated the sense of nose to the grindstone, disconnection from your heart, if you will, and feeling broken, if you will, emotionally despite the fact that I was extremely successful. Correct. And I'm wondering if you can describe how every man helps men who are in crisis in life and in career and in job or wherever connect emotionally in a way that helps them to achieve better lives. It's a great question. Hopefully one starts doing this work with every man or with another organization or whatever it may be that providing them healing and growth, not when they're in crisis. However, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as men, we tend to look for the fire extinguisher when the house is already burning down. Right. Uh, that's, that's just our conditioning. I think that narrative is changing in our culture, whereby, you know, more and more celebrities and influencers are really talking about well-being and personal development. So I think that we are at the start of some changes around that. But the reality is, is that for most men, we don't do anything until we absolutely have to. When a man decides that he has to do something, what we start with is really what we described at the beginning, teaching him how to slow down, 
and be aware of what he's experiencing emotionally. Having done this work for five years and Owen for you know almost 30 years, so many of us are actually disconnected from ourselves. We think we're feeling, but we're not actually feeling. We're not actually attuned to the wisdom of our own body and our own emotions. And it's not surprising because mm -hmm. quite frankly, our culture hasn't taught us as men to be emotional. Emotionality in our culture is often perceived as a weakness, is often perceived as a potential threat. And so we haven't been conditioned to know how to emote as men. So what we have to do is literally teach men how to feel. And then from that place, really start to open up around what they are experiencing. And then through that experience, actually connect with others. We call that process co-regulation. There's an incredible, almost magical thing that happens when we are able to create an intentional space to slow down, open up to our experience and connect with others. But what happens is we actually receive the nutrient of connection, which is part of our biology, right? We're mammals. Mm -hmm. We're hardwired to connect. True connection happens when we're slowed down and present and we're actually authentic in what we're experiencing. And that type of connection is what really nourishes us on a deeper level and makes us feel safe, helps us downregulate our stress, helps us process challenges we may be going on that we may be having in our lives. And I think it's innately part of our being. I mean, for thousands of years, men have been going out and hunting parties and gathering in, in tribes. That has been part of our culture for longer than it has not been. And so I'm always amazed at the ease of which we as men sort of deny our evolutionary biology and then wonder, like, why am I feeling this way? Well, because we're not really living the way we were intended to live. And you have the aspect of the American dream, which has a certain ethos to it. And one of the things is that the reward of it is prestige and consumerism. We talked about my grandfather came over to this country in 1913 with nothing. And in 25 years, became relatively wealthy and built a custom home and sent his oldest child to college and his youngest child built him a house. That was my dad. That was enough of a reward. And yet that hasn't really worked out well for men. When things don't work out well in career, we really feel disconnected. I mentioned to you, and I know you've done a lot more traveling overseas than I, but I've watched in horror as American men on my tour groups have asked people in a, whatever country they're in, what do you do for a living? Right. And that is offensive to people in the Netherlands or France or England or whatever. You don't do what Americans do, which is start off by saying, well, what do you do, Joe? Because right. that's like an American thing. So something has happened to the American dream that's become toxic. And when men lose work and they don't have that identification of I'm a corporate executive or I am a business owner or, you know, I'm a tradesperson. What happens to them? And that luckily for some leads them to every man. I think one of these phenomenon that I see 
is this collapsing of purpose, meaning, fulfillment, wealth, and everything else gets collapsed into our work. So mm -hmm. we want so much from our work. And I think if we look at culturally, as we've evolved, work demands more of us now as a function of globalization and technology. And at the same time, a lot of the traditional sort of institutions and or activities that we used to partake in that created boundaries between work and life mm -hmm. have eroded. So we expect so much from our work. And if we're not getting that, if we're not participating in other communities, if we don't have things that provide us greater purpose and meaning outside of work, well, when that job is taken away from us, for whatever reason, we're left with this huge void of like, oh, where do I find my purpose? Where do I find my identity? Who am I without this? I mean, quite frankly, like I've, I've experienced that in my own life. Mm -hmm. You know, I went from being a corporate executive to running a, a startup. And there are many days when I wonder, man, have I made the wrong decision? Have I screwed myself by pursuing a life that for me is more purposeful and more passionate, but certainly hasn't provided the same rewards financially and security that a traditional job has. And again, every person, every man is different. Some people are like, hell no, I never want to do that. Coming back to your original question, this idea that we have to get everything from our work and that our work defines us as men. I think that's one of the things that we're wrestling with as a culture. Again, I think that's one of those things where it's, you know, we're so quick to sort of deny our evolutionary biology. Like, who are you? That's probably the question that one should be asking. And I think that what is also interesting is in, in our work environment, we are heavily incentivized to be for individual achievement. Right. We do not place a great enough value on the ability to be of service. And right. In my mind, service is the true wealth. You can mm -hmm. meet the richest man in the world. And if he's not connected and doing things for others, he may not be necessarily truly happy. That's and right. yes, you can sort of buy service through donation, but I'm talking about on a human level, connecting with another person and actually being of service, whether that's just being present, whether that's listening, whether that's reflecting, that opportunity to be of service provides us an incredible amount of wealth and satisfaction. And we don't have those places necessarily in our culture anymore. I mean, we can go and volunteer, which I think is certainly very important for many, but I think one of the things that is unique to what we do of every man is we actually provide men that opportunity to be of service to another man mm -hmm. as men, man to man. I became conscious of this situation with men as an executive recruiter, and especially in the wake of the 2008-2009 Great Recession. A lot of guys that I had known, they got disconnected from their career tracks and they couldn't re-engage. And it was really tough for them. But now we've come up to this pandemic and it's affecting everybody. Yeah. And I know, and we talked about this in 2020 when everybody was stuck at home and that old division of labor where, you know, my wife or mom deals with domesticity 
and I, dad, deal with not domesticity. But we're all in the soup together, and men have to become more purposely engaged in others' lives, most especially their children. Yeah. That had to be jarring as much as that could have been a wonderful gift to a lot of men. And I know a lot of guys who never knew their kids when they were growing up. And now we're having that Harry Chapin cats in the cradle moment where, you know, they really want to be involved in their kids' lives and the kids don't have time for them. And the pandemic kind of re-regulated, if you will, that situation. But I have to imagine not every man could make the pivot well. And now coming out of the pandemic with workplaces changing and not everybody going back to the co-location and more women seeking opportunities for senior management, whereas maybe in the old days, the, the men never felt threatened about a woman being their boss. What challenges has this created for some of the people that you engage through every man? What are they dealing with? What are they processing? It's another great question, Dan. Um, I try my best, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Every man has had the good fortune to be recognized nationally and globally by lots of different media outlets. And one of the questions that always comes up when I have those conversations is, what does it mean to be a man? Post Me Too, we were certainly sort of contemplating that question. I don't like to use this term, but toxic masculinity, all of these things were kind of in in the zeitgeist of our culture. And there's two things that I would say to that. One is every man, we don't define what it means to be a man, and we certainly don't define masculinity. That's a sacred space that every individual that identifies as a man gets to decide for themselves. We provide a framework and we provide a a place to go and explore that, but I have no definition for that. I also know that men don't wake up in the morning and sort of scratch their head and say, well, what does it mean to be a man? What is my masculinity? The question that men are asking themselves is, how do I be all of myself inside the workplace? If you're a deeply emotive, sensitive person, no judgment around that because that's your biology. But if you then are placed into a hard charging, emotionless workplace, how do you show up? You literally have to show up as a different person. So you're now trying to be two people. And I think what we're grappling with is men have been put in a box And we've been given things that we can and can't do. And for the most part, we've been given emotions that we can and can't express. But what I see is that men are complex. There's Mm -hmm. so many different aspects of who we are. And we shouldn't have to be one or the other. You know, I can be a hunter and I can do yoga, right? I can be deeply sensitive and emotive and I can also be a hard charging individual when I have to, like, how do I get to be all the different aspects of who I am? And I think that that's what men are experiencing. We're working for a very large tech company right now to do some development work with a cohort of up and coming leaders. And, you know, the boundaries between work life and personal life have become blurred as a function of technology. And we're not going back, you know, we're not necessarily going to separate those things. So how do we bring it together? 
how do we create more opportunities for men to be emotionally authentic and honest with their colleagues and their coworkers so that they don't have to blur the boundary between work and personal life? There isn't an issue with that. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. My example would be like, oh, if I'm working at home and traditionally I'd be in the workplace nine to seven, whatever it may be for guys and say four o'clock rolls around and it's really important for me to pick up my kid from school and take him to soccer practice. Right. Because I have an emotional connection to wanting to do that. It's going to fulfill me. How does a guy say, hey, I need time off. I'm not going to be available during this hour. How do we create acceptance for that within the workplace without any judgment of that individual's sort of commitment and or character? I think that happens, Lucas, when every man gets to team up with the leadership engines in work life. And what I mean by that is this. I think coming out of the pandemic, the future of work is really about encouraging leadership and mitigating management. And what I mean by that, management is all about hitting your numbers, exceeding your revenue targets, your bogeys, your whatever, and not lording over people. Yeah. And that's just for men and women. Leadership, the, the skills that we need to learn, gosh, you learn them from the Jesuits. They're all right. about thinking, how to think, how to cogitate your way to success as opposed to lording over people. Right. Coming back to this notion of leadership, you know, our emotionality, our vulnerability is core to our being. It's a true expression of ourself. And people follow people when they trust them. And so when I, as a leader, can be emotional, can be vulnerable, can be open with what I'm experiencing. On a conscious level, yes, I'm connecting, but on an unconscious level, I'm sending a signal to the people around me that it's okay to be who you are. Right. And that creates connection and people follow that type of leadership. I get frustrated sometimes when guys compare themselves to these sort of made up superhero type figures of sort of masculine leadership, right? This guy that gets up at four o'clock in the morning and is like in the gym and then he meditates and then he's like in the office and then he's doing all of these sort of things. It's like, well, hold on a second. That's not really human. No, it's not. And whoever that person is, that's his job, right? He's paid to be that character. And, you know, you're probably seeing that on social media. And so that is not a real personification of our true self, of our true lives and what we experience. But what our true lives could be, and I think may impact your membership in every man, is to have the agency to do, let's say, the job that you have and side hustle stuff. Maybe you make furniture right. and, may, and maybe you sell it on Etsy. Right. And that's, right. Part, and that's part of your day right? Yeah. And you're a youth leader and maybe you came out of the military and you get to, you know, work with fellow veterans who need to connect up with the community or with work. That's a day. That's what we should aspire to. And to that end, Lucas, I think 
we will learn how to become hybrid professionals. This is not my idea. This is something from Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, who says we have to create our own unique identities so that when people say to us, Lucas, what do you do? Or they'll say to yeah. Dan, Dan, what do you do? I'm a future of work Sherpa. I help yeah. people, uh, you know, achieve greatness in the work that they do and want to do. And it's fun and it's purposeful and it's meaningful and it's profound and it helps protect the planet, et cetera, et cetera. I don't do the job for them, but I help them up the mountain. Right. Everybody should have the ability to say something that's unique to their bliss. Cool. And especially for men, because men are so afraid of their emotions. Oh my God. My dad was that way. He was like Gary Cooper. He couldn't really tell you what was in his heart. He was afraid to. Right. Just makes me sad when I hear that. I feel sad for your father. I feel sad for you because I truly believe that the love in men's hearts is probably the greatest untapped resource on our planet right in, now. Indeed. We don't know how to love ourselves. And as a result, we don't know how to love others. And so we hide that part of ourselves. And, you know, again, back to our evolutionary biology, that is part of us. When we deny that, we're, it's like cutting off one of our limbs. And it it's gets expressed as rage. And that's the right. other tough part. And, and rage is depression turned inside out. When you can't express love, you go to the things that you're comfortable with, which are really toxic. And we have Correct. to change that. We well, have and it goes back to social conditioning where anger is the emotion that we've most accepted from men in terms of like, oh, men can be angry. Yeah, there's a lot of angry men out there. Conversely to that, we haven't said, oh, love. There's a lot of loving, caring men out there, right? And what happens is this compact effect where it's like, okay, you're the angry guy and we're hard charging. And now we have this group dynamic where we're all like that, mm -hmm. right? We're all sort of pushing that same narrative. And how do we break that? We also have to recognize that as men, like we haven't been taught how to do this. Quite frankly, as men in our patriarchal culture, a lot of our emotionality has been taught through a feminine lens. If you think about our father being at the workplace, the majority of our teachers being women, the nurses at our schools being women, it is what it is. But a lot of our early messages and learning of emotionality comes from a very feminine lens. So who has taught us as men to be both masculine and emotional and be both masculine and vulnerable? from a masculine place that isn't necessarily a threat to my own masculinity. Cause I think sometimes that's what we're struggling with is men see emotion and expressing emotion as a threat to their, the construct of, of masculinity that they've created for themselves or the one that they're buying into as part of our culture. This has been such a fascinating discussion and I do want to have you back. I want to mention to my audience that, I found you by watching the PBS series, Future of Work, and the segment with you and your fellow members is so powerful. And I believe one of the gentlemen you were with, he did show his emotion and it was very, very moving. I'm going to include a link to that segment of the episode so that people can watch it and learn more about you. But before we depart, Lucas, could you tell my audience where they can find you on social media? I would love to. 
the one thing I would say about that clip, which is really powerful because it was powerful for me, is that we also, you know, one of the things that we do at Every Man is we rewire our relationship with expression and emotionality. So what you don't see is the years of work that that man put into mm. learning how to express that. Because when one expresses themselves from a vulnerable place, it's a scary place. Our biology is telling us, don't do that. You're going to be eaten by a tiger, right? And mm -hmm. so we're having to sort of manually override that in service of connection and sort of emotional freedom. And it takes time. One has to work right. at that skill and develop it. But I can tell you that the benefits on the other end of that are so significant. You know, our lives get richer. Our, our relationships with others get richer. There's a sense of freedom that we have in who we are that comes on the other side of that. For men looking to learn more about Everyman, mm -hmm. you can go to everyman.com, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com, only one E. We have an online platform. Men can become members and participate in programs that we offer on a daily basis. We also offer a number of online programs as well as in-person retreats, all focused on providing men tools, resources, community to live deeper, richer, more connected, fulfilling lives. Thank you so much, Lucas. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Links to Everyman's social media and the episode of the PBS series Future of Work that included Lucas Crump are provided in the show notes for this episode at dansmolin.com. Meantime, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get them, or listen to current and past episodes on our website at dansmolin.com. And please take a moment to positively rate and comment wherever you listen to the podcast, because that helps us to connect with new listeners. I'm Dan Smolin, and this is the Dan Smolin Podcast. Thank you for joining us on an amazing journey to the future of work, doing meaningful work. And do remember this, our best days lie ahead. Let's connect again next week. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.